Welcome to the Everyday PM Podcast, the podcast where we discuss project management principles for your everyday life. My name is Ann Campia, and I'm a certified project slash program manager with over a decade of experience working in various different industries from healthcare, retail, consumer goods, and tech. I am so excited to welcome Andy Alsop, who is the president and CEO of The Receptionist, which is an app built with the intent to calm the chaos of managing visitors and getting your guests where they need to be faster. Andy, please take a brief moment to introduce yourself to our audience. All right, Anne. Nice, nice being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. My name is Andy Alsop, and I am the president and CEO, as you said, of The Receptionist. And I bought this company back in 2015. Of um, uh, April 2015. And so uh, as of this podcast recording, we're actually just a few days away from our anniversary, our seventh anniversary. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I have been running companies uh, pretty much my whole entire uh, career, uh, whether I've been part of a C-level suite or somebody who's helping with uh, partnerships and sales and that kind of thing. Um, and so I have a lot of experience in entrepreneurship, and that has brought me to this company and brought me to some of the management philosophies and the philosophies I use for running the company, which uh, have really kind of changed our company and changed my life, actually, and, and changed the way I do things. What is it about yourself? I'm curious because, you know, I, I always open up my podcasts with, with our guests to learn more about your professional background or your professional journey as we like to call in, have folks tell their story, but you kind of went into that as you introduced yourself to our audience. I'm curious, what was it about yourself and just any personality traits or anything in just how you are as a human being that you realized, oh, entrepreneurship is really the route I want to take as a career. Uh, Is there anything that was like an aha moment for you? Well, I would say, um, Excuse me. The the probably the thing that that really impacted me the most is I'm from an entrepreneurial family. Okay. Um, my dad was a journalist, and he had an article that was syndicated across the country with his brother, my uncle. Uh, so they really worked for themselves. And then my oldest brother started a company called Progress Software. Uh, my sister is a, a writer. She's always worked for herself. And I have four brothers and a sister, so I won't go through all of them, but yeah, uh, pretty much all of us work for ourselves and have always worked for ourselves. So I guess it's kind of in my blood and it's something that I dreamed of as I was a, I was joke with people. When I was a, a little kid, I used to dream about having a sandwich shop at the end of our driveway. And that was uh, the kind of the first thing I wanted to do. I later went into the restaurant business as a result. And then I had a, a lawn mowing business. I borrowed a hundred bucks from my mom when I was a young kid and then went around and mowed lawns, paid, it, paid her back, and then I uh, kept the proceeds. So my own little business uh, right from the get-go. So I think it's been in my blood the whole time. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's it's definitely a risk that I've I've seen some colleagues attempt to take. And, and, and that, that alone is a, a testament to where you started and where you are today, Andy. And it's, it's super exciting to have you on the podcast to kind of share that entrepreneurial spirit with our project management audience. And what I'll say is that as project managers, we in many ways do feel like many entrepreneurs in some of the projects that we have to manage through, uh, whether it be 
um, smaller scale things or, or things that we have a lot of auto autonomy and authority over in terms of decision making and that sort of thing. So I do believe there are some translations to being an entrepreneur and what we have to do on our, whether it's our corporate jobs as project managers, or even if we're project managing our own business all the way through, right? So I think um, I want, where I wanted to start with this is actually, I wanted to know more about the receptionists because I've been doing some research on what the app is. It sounds like it would be very convenient to have this set up at your office, especially for those of us that are going back to some sort of in-person setting um, in the workplace. But tell me more about the receptionist. So the receptionist is a visitor management system. And what that means is that when people walk into an office or into a lobby or into a reception area, they'll see an iPad and they approach the iPad. They will check in with a the person they're there to see. And then the iPad does a lot of the work that uh, may, the kind of the mundane work that a receptionist might need to do. Like instead of signing a paper logbook, they might actually check in on the iPad. And then the company who is hosting the software has more information about the people who are coming in. But then it also means instead of having to try to find that person you're meeting with, uh, the iPad will actually send a text message to that person or send them a Slack message or an email or whatever else and notify them that you're there. Uh, so it really streamlines the whole front end uh, experience when people come to your office. Um, it kind of increases the brand. Uh, because now what's happening is instead of, you know, signing in on a paper logbook and you can't even read what's on the paper mm -hmm. logbook, now you're actually signing into a device that's keeping track of all that information and nobody's having to run around and trying to find somebody. It's actually sending them a message right to their phone. Sure. It just, I, I love coming to an office space or, or even to a place of business where something like this is set up just as a customer of the experience. It sounds like it just gives you such a better experience of overall of, of how to check in. It makes it very easy. And to your point, it kind of takes away all of the chaos that would happen if you had people still trying to sign in and write notes and then the, that sort of thing, pen to paper. I don't know that anyone really in the office space at the very least that I know, if you're not making little notes for yourself in a digital notebook, I, I don't know who, who really is utilizing the kind of the pen to paper method anymore. So I think this flows perfectly with the shifts we see and how we are received at our offices and, and the technology that's behind a lot of it as well. So I love the idea and I love that you're behind it. Was there anything for you when you were thinking about um, this app that really drove the efficiency? Was there an experience where you're like, oh, this would have been way better if we just had this app set up in this way? Yeah, well, I have, as I said, I've started a bunch of businesses. And so a lot of the businesses I've started have been from some sort of a dead start where you don't even have the first customer. And man, that is so hard to get to your first customer and yeah. prove that uh, product market fit. I was lucky enough that there was a group of individuals who had started this and I, I bought the company from a Boulder based startup. We're in Denver. And so um, they had already actually created it. And it was as a result of an investor uh, who's fairly well known in the Colorado market by the name of Brad Feld really just wanted an app so that the few people who would come, who would come through his office would be able to check in on the iPad rather than having to have a full person, uh, full staff person there because mm -hmm. it was 
sort of a boring job yeah. if only four or five people come through the door. Yeah. So he went, went to the people I bought the company from and said, hey, could you create this little app on an iPad? I said, sure, no problem, really easy. And they ended up taking it over as a business. And then I got, bought it from them, I think it was about a year and a half after they started it. And so for me as an entrepreneur, that market product market fit was so important. I actually was able to go and interview some of the customers using the software and mm -hmm. asking them about their experience. And they said, it's great. This thing has changed our, our whole business. It's made it so much easier. And when I heard that, I thought, yeah, I've got to buy this and I want to really scale it up. So. What a great use case too. You know, when we try to tie this back to project management, a lot of us are in the digital or the optimization spaces, right? So we're looking at how to grow these efficiencies and it was such a basic use case, but something that just made sense. Why have a human being sitting there waiting for five people to come visit? It's an entirely, it's a, a, a wasteful amount of time for to pay somebody to, to be there to do this job. And and in those cases, I think this app just makes sense. So I, yeah, I love that use case. Yeah. And that person who was waiting there now can do other things and exactly. have to sit at the front desk. So it ends up becoming really an efficiency tool. We have this a lot of times where people can go and do other things. Like they might even be able to help manage a project or they might be able to do other things around the office rather than just being tied to the front desk all the time. So it means people get to do things that are a lot more exciting than just, hey, can you sign in on the um, sign in on the paper logbook or, you know, or I'll go find that person for you kind of thing. Yeah. And there's even many lessons to be taken here in terms of how you, one question or one kind of issue sparks an idea for a project. And that's essentially how this rolled out, right? Into, into the app that it is today. And I, I, I'm really curious about, you were describing to me before we started recording the podcast, the, the, the decision-making structure that is set up for your company. And I think that alone will be very interesting for our project managers to listen in on because it might be unique, very different than the experiences they're used to in terms of working for a corporation that has um, several levels of, of approvals and then red tape and stakeholders that you have to drive to align to in order to get some of these decisions made. So can you tell us more about how it works at your company? Sure. So it's the concept um, that comes out of our just cause. And our just cause comes from Simon Sinek, her big devotees of Simon Sinek. And so we created a just cause. And from that just cause, uh, created something called employee supremacy. Now, there's a concept called um, uh, shareholder supremacy. And shareholder supremacy is where the leaders of companies are saying that everything that they do has to benefit the shareholders, whether it's the profits they make, whether it's expense reductions, whatever it might be. Shareholder supremacy means that the leaders of the business, the CEOs, the board of directors, everybody is focused on, on benefiting the, the shareholders. Well, what we do is we run our company on, on a kind of a unique style, which is called employee supremacy. And employee supremacy says that we do everything we can to benefit our employees. And the concept is that essentially, if you do everything that benefits the employees, what you're going to end up doing is making happier customers because mm -hmm. you've got employees that are engaged. They trust the company. They trust each other. They want to work 
um, for the benefit of the customer. They want to do the best they can for the customer. And then as a result of that, the shareholders are happy, right? Because yeah. they are the ones who you want to benefit in the end. But I, we think, I think of it as a way, and, and we as a leadership team think of it a different way, that we know that if we benefit the employees, that the, the customers are going to come out ahead. And in the end, the shareholders are going to come out ahead as well. So it's a little bit of a contrast. Some some companies will say we're very employee um, forward. We we think of our employees first. Well, the issue is that with if you're just employee first, you're still thinking about what is in the best interest of the shareholders. So let's say mm-hmm. you have a bad mm-hmm. quarter or whatever. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to let go of some of the employees. Right. So we've actually changed it where. It's employee supremacy. So when we're looking at the level of the people, you know, when our decision making, we're really putting employees above the shareholders in terms of what we think is going to be best, because in the in the end, that's going to be better for the company. It all it all just makes sense when you describe it, right? In terms of the the line of thinking and and who you want to target to make sure that ultimately the customer experience is the best that it can be. I've worked for some of the bigger companies and they've always drive to use data and, and trends and analysis to understand customer uh, behavior and then try to spin the structure uh, of how they do work in a way that is using the data, but it, you know they, they really want the customer experience to be the best it can possibly be. And when I think about the way that you are managing things within your company, it also drives back to this idea of the the people doing the work also need to be happy and also need to be a part of the the initiative and also need to feel like they can step out of the box and and make decisions because they believe this is best, the best thing for the customer experience. And there's just a lot of synergy there. And I've read a lot of philosophies and then people who have put out different types of leadership models that are a proponent of what you've described. But when you kind of step back in the way that you have outlined it for your company, it's just, it's just a very basic principle, really, when you think about it. But something that is that, that not a lot of companies and not a lot of leadership consider, because to your point, the first thing that you think about is return on investment and who who's driving that. Oh, it's the shareholders. And so what do the shareholders want? And then you kind of get stuck in that cycle of what do they want versus what is best for the customer and what is the right decision. And so when it comes to um, this, this, I guess the style of leadership and authority that you've kind of implemented at your company, was there any pushback or any feedback on, on this approach? Well, let's see. So first of all, we're a bootstrapped company. And so as a bootstrapped company, we don't have any institutional investors. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to go through and, and go back to the board after saying, oh, yeah, I know I have $100 million, but our focus is going to be on our employees and not our shareholders. Sure. And what's been interesting, though, is that we do have we are heavily pursued by venture capitalists. And so um, what I'll do is many times send them a podcast I've done uh, myself. It's about a 15-minute podcast that talks about employee supremacy. (laughs) And I'll send that to the investors and say, how does this make you feel about our Mm -hmm. philosophy? Mm -hmm. And almost every one of them so far has said, we love it. We love it because what you're saying is you do want to focus on your shareholders. You're just not going to do it by saying every decision has to be made 
in the benefit of the shareholders. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I haven't really gotten a lot of pushback. I've had some people challenge me on it a little bit. Um, I've introduced it to everybody in our team. And I've gone on individually through my one-on-ones with the different team members have said, you know, can you just tell me what you think about what the difference is between employee supremacy and shareholder supremacy? And I do this because I want them to be going out there and also spreading the message. Because in the end, we're not just doing this for ourselves. Our just cause says that we want to build a world, actually, where employees are the ones who are benefited in a company. And as a result of that, I ask our employees, and I've had a couple employees come back to me, and one said, asked me a great question. He said, you know, isn't it the fiduciary responsibility of the leadership team to make returns for investors? Mm. And I stopped in my tracks. And I was like, <laughs> wait, hold on. You're right. I yeah. might be violating my you know, fiduciary responsibility. Yeah. And then I thought about it. I said, wait, no, actually, I'm not, because it's going to benefit the shareholders even more. And so there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of other kind of pushback that I've had to kind of think about where it's a mature enough idea that I've discussed it with enough people that I feel like there's no reason why companies can't run under supply, employee supremacy. And then actually, and I think it was actually, I was just listening to uh, Simon Sinek yesterday on my drive up uh, from, as I was coming to Denver. And uh, he said that 80% of, of employees that are, um, that are surveyed generally say that they don't feel like the company trusts them mm-hmm. and that feels that they are, that yeah. they're kind of an asset to the company. And he said, wouldn't it be great if we could turn that around and say now that only 20% that felt that way. And the thought I had in that moment was if we could just make employee supremacy be the model for how decision-making is made in companies, we could change this whole model, you know, this, the way we work and yeah. this, this, and you, you talked about it earlier. It's kind of like a lot of times you feel like I have to return everything to the shareholders. So I'm going to have to tell my employees exactly how to do everything. I'm mm-hmm. going to have to give them a script when they talk to customers, they have to follow this model because I need to be able to control my employees. When you put them first in the decision-making cycle and they feel trusted, I don't have to tell any of my employees how to talk to customers. I don't, yeah. I know that they're doing the best because actually the customers reach out to me and say, I don't know what you're doing over there right now, but you're doing something right. You know, our customers are super happy with what, what we're producing in terms of a product. And the product is just, of course, I mean, our product is software, but in the end people buy from people, you know, yeah. whether it's software or not. So, and, and there's this, there's probably a lot of empowerment that you have to drive from your position at the company to ensure that the employees still feel like they are the primary investment, right? And that they they also still stay curious and ask those types of questions because I'm sure when you try to explain this to somebody who's never been in this type of situation, I can just imagine myself trying to with my project management team and them just wanting to beat up this whole idea of, well, wait a minute. So we get to make the decisions and ultimately we're making them because we know what's best for the customer. And like, tell me that again. Right. So there's, there's going to be, I, I would imagine your, your team, when you first started to implement this, it wasn't just fully roses and rainbows right away. I, I feel like there's also those personality types that would be hesitant to even have that type of authority. I I hate to use that word authority, but really to be empowered in that way. 
uh, that they would be in a position to do a lot of the things that they might typically have been used to having their bosses bosses do. And so this is just, just a very, very different way of thinking. And while it definitely makes sense, I would imagine you also had some people who it required a little bit of coaxing or training or, or kind of uh, uh, just time and experience to understand this philosophy philosophy of what you're trying to drive. Yeah, and I think it, it comes down to culture and core values. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're sitting here and, and I'm in our studio at our company and you'll see actually some of our core values behind us are behind me. And um, the core values are fabric, fun, authentic, bold, respectful, innovative, and collaborative. We have a lot of fun here. We're very authentic, but bold is really an important one. We want to hire people who are willing to go out there and try things and, Mm -hmm. you know, experiment and not be afraid to fail. And we actually say as part of when we describe what bold is, we say that failure is actually uh, looked upon as, as something good because it means we're learning and we're yeah. trying things. We're not just trying to do the same thing all the time. So um, there hasn't been as much. I think there was a little bit when I when I first brought this out, they I would hear my employees saying, well, that means that the employees are the decision makers. Well, the leadership team is still the decision maker of how the company moves forward, because a lot of people, just like you say, they don't want to be in a position of like, <laughs> I came here to work here, not Scary. to like lead the company, <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to carry the company. But it means within their role, they don't feel like somebody's looking over them um, and trying to, you know, get them to coerce them to do something that they may not feel comfortable with or something. It's about creating a culture where the employees are first. And also takes, it's all about actions, because mm-hmm. if you do something and it's about trust, because if you do something that erodes the trust or the actions that you take are not in, in, not congruent with this idea, then you're going you're gonna to lose the whole thing. There's a couple of examples that I can use. One is that we had one of our salespeople, there was a calculation error that we discovered when we were doing some review about uh, that person's commissions. And it turned out that we had a minor miscalculation in it, but it was causing the employee over the last few months to have lost some money. And in shareholder supremacy, it becomes very difficult. It almost becomes an ethical issue. Here Mm -hmm. I am. I need to be able to return as much as I can to the shareholders, but I don't want to do what's wrong for the employee. So what do I do here? I know the employee never saw this. We can fix the error. They never will see it. And so there's sort of an emphasis of, well, okay, we'll just just let it go. Well, under employee supremacy, my director of sales and I immediately looked at each other and said, no, we're going to disclose this. We actually reached out to the employee within minutes of first discovering it, analyzing it, and figuring out what the problem was, reached out to the employee, apologized, and said, I'm sorry this happened. We're going to be adding this to your paycheck. And so it's that kind of decision-making where you're not, that's what I found I didn't like about entrepreneurship. It was put I was put into situations where somebody might say, you've got to grow this company at all costs. Well, at all costs may mean that it may be at the, you know, will not benefit the employees. And you might have to do something that is not congruent with what the employees would want to see, but you have to grow at all costs. Mm -hmm. And so it felt like I was put in this position of almost an an ethical quandary, and that I didn't like. So when we started operating our company under this philosophy, 
it was like all the alignment came together. I can do what's in the best interest of the employees, the people who rely on this company to pay their mortgages, to raise their families and everything else. I can do what's in their best interest and raise shareholder value at the same time. And since then, it's really kind of been, been bliss, in my opinion. That's amazing. And, and, and I think the one of the underlying themes I get from that uh, anecdote that you shared is, uh, I don't know that you give yourself credit in terms of your authentic leadership and, and how much that resonates as well when you're working under this um, employee supremacy idea is that with those types of issues that may come up, ethical or, or whatever, right? I think when you are able to be in a position like yours and be very transparent about what's going on, that always, in my opinion, will be received in the best with the best intentions from the person that you're talking to. And that already sets a very different stage for those types of conversations that you may have to have where you have to drive a decision that's in the best interest of not only the company or the employee or the shareholders. But I think that you, I hope that you give yourself credit as well, Andy, in terms of (laughs) what you've been able to display in your authenticity as a leader at the company. And it sounds like you have such an amazing culture that has built around that type of leadership. And and in many ways, I'm sure you are the primary driver for why the company has that type of culture and why you get such great uh, customer feedback as well, that they feel it as well. So I just want to commend you for that. If you haven't done so yourself, give you a pat on the back for that, because I do think that you can't have what you have at your company without you being authentic in your role. So I think my last question to you would be around how you continue to empower your employees, right? To ensure that you continue to drive this philosophy across the company and the culture. And how do you make sure that they stay curious, but at the same time, not break anything too badly? Well, thank you for your kind words. That was really sweet of you. I really appreciate that very much. Um, How do you make them? So do you mean because they're empowered that they might, might have, might, you know, go a little bit too far. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have boundaries? I guess is the question. Is there boundaries to, to how much they can explore and, and try? Well, what I think what, what really has happened is that everybody really loves this company. And so they don't want to do anything that might actually extend beyond what would be reasonable to try at -hmm. least so far. Um, and I think, and, and you had said something, so let me, let me back up just a little bit, because one of the things that we've done is when we see a problem and it has to do with, let's say, um, how employees live out their lives. Uh, one, one example is that we had, I mean, m- many companies are doing this, but I don't think they're doing this at our size is that many, we have an unlimited PTO policy, but I would go to employees and I'd say, you know, you really need to take some time off. You really got to sharpen that ax. Mm-hmm. and um, they would come back and say, well, you know, I don't really have a lot of money, so I guess I could go and visit somebody or whatever. So we implemented a vacation fund, and that meant that for every employee who's worked with us for at least a year, they get $1,500 a year towards taking a vacation. And that has had sort of a multiplier effect coming back in terms of how they feel about the company. And then that goes to what you were saying is that I think the, the, the employees care so much that they have sort of a sense 
that this might go a little far. Before I do it, I want to check in with somebody. And my whole leadership team is amazing. They are also very caring individuals who um, it wouldn't be without them that we wouldn't have this philosophy. It was a coalesce. We coalesced around this particular philosophy to, to create employee supremacy. And sure. so I think what will happen is an employee, we actually do quarterly rocks. We're going to have our quarterly uh, rock meeting on Thursday of this week. And uh, that's where everybody disclosed what they did in the first quarter and, and what they're going to be doing in the, in the second quarter. And um, some of those rocks are really bold, <laughs> but they're working with dire their directors, you know, yeah. and they're working with the leaders of their, their departments to try to make sure that they're coming up with something uh, that maybe is reasonable and bouncing ideas off. And that gets to the last letter in our, uh, in our core values, which is collaboration. We mm -hmm. have tons of collaboration. So I kind of think that between the collaboration and between the caring people have for the company, I don't really ever come across and say, wow, we really shouldn't have done that. You know, <laughs> it's not, there's enough yeah. checks and balances there that we are always moving the company forward in an authentic way, but also collaborating with others to make sure that we're not kind of pushing it too hard. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. And, and it, I would hate to stifle that way of thinking, right. To, to, to tell somebody, oh, well, I think you've thought way out of our, our way, way out of scope for what <laughs> that's we a little too bold. Do. Right, right. I like the way you said it a little too bold, but you don't want to stifle that thinking at the same time. So that sounds like you have a careful balance of how you're able to approach these new and innovative ideas and people, it sounds like your employees just feel inspired. Uh, and the fact that they would even stretch to even try something as bold as some of the things that they might pitch to you means that they care. And, and ultimately it, it comes back to this whole philosophy that you've instilled in the company, which I think even just from a project management perspective, they can learn a lot about how to drive continuous improvement in a way that doesn't look like you're just nitpicking all of the gaps and the challenges and then that sort of thing, right? It, it, it can be really a creative collaboration across the team because you care so much about your project that you want to try to do something to make it better the next go around. And you get that theme from what Andy's describing. And I hope that project managers are listening in on how they might be able to influence their organization or even in their small sphere of influence, even if it's just across their project to try to make things better and, and really drive the same kind of philosophy that Andy's been describing to us today. So Andy, I think that will do it for this installment of the Everyday PM podcast. I want to thank you for your time today. And I appreciate you sharing about your company and your background and all of the things that uh, I think our audience can take away from how we can infuse that in our everyday lives. So for those that want to continue the conversation with you, where can they find you online? Well, the best place is going to be going to thereceptionist.com, our website. We do have um, something called the Flat Fabric Podcast. If you want to uh, hear more about this, we have a five-part series on uh, employee supremacy that I've put together. And actually, we're going to be just re-recording it and putting out a full-on uh, studio version of that. So that would be good. I'm on LinkedIn as Andy Alsop and um, also on Twitter as AC Alsop are probably the best places to reach me. 
Oh, wonderful. And I, I'm looking forward to hearing the studio recording of that. I think it's going to be really helpful to listen to this, this thing in a lot more detail. So I'll make sure to share that around once you have that available as well. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn if you want to chat further with the Everyday PM. And you can also find this podcast on all of your podcasting platforms. Please give us a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever it is to make sure that you are showing us that you care and you love this episode of the Everyday PM. Please find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. We're on all of them. Um, you can also find the video version of this on my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Ancampia. While you're there, give the video a like, leave us a great comment. And click subscribe so that you know when new content goes up on the channel. All right, Andy. Well, that will do it for you and I in this installment of the Everyday PM Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And until next time, take care.